welcome to the New Wine Podcast. My name is Jay Matthew Barnes. The goal of New Wine is simply this, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world, especially for those of us who are tired of doing it the same old way. This is podcast number 20, and here's the question we'll try to answer this time. Why is a willingness to change important for those Christians who are seeking to be missional? There's a famous quote that goes something like this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. Now, this quote is most often attributed to Albert Einstein, but it's almost assuredly not from him. Others say it comes from Mark Twain or Ben Franklin, but there's no evidence for either of them as well. No one really knows who said it, but it is really common to claim that Einstein said all sorts of things. As one Wikipedia user put it, poor old Einstein gets everything but the book of Genesis attributed to him, and maybe parts of that too. But just because we don't know who said it doesn't mean that the quote doesn't have any value. Think about it. If we keep on doing something time and again, but think that the results are going to be different each time, we've pretty much lost our grip on the simple rules of cause and effect. But there's a more specific way of saying the quote that results in an even more unfortunate picture. Here it is. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over, getting bad results, but thinking that the next time the results will be good. This is just plain silly. No one in their right mind would actually do this sort of thing, right? Well, I've done it more times than I can count. And I'm sure that many of you have done what I'm about to describe here or who have been part of groups that have. Here we go. I'm disappointed with how things are going in a particular ministry that I'm a part of, like a small group or an adult Sunday school class or a service group or even an entire congregation. I do my best as a leader to keep things moving forward, but we continue to get diminishing returns. Fewer people come, fewer disciples are made, fewer people are mobilized to be on mission with Jesus, etc., etc. So how do I respond? Well, I double down on the things that I've been doing already, but I just try to do it better. Or even worse, I do the exact same things the exact same way. I just call them by different names or put them in a different order. But I know that I'm not the only one with this problem. In North America, we've basically been doing the same things in our churches since 1900, and we've been receiving diminishing returns for quite some time now. Here's a few stats to chew on. The average church in North America does not gain one new member through conversion growth each year. Not a single one. When you combine people who are casually Christian, meaning that they don't attend church much and their lives are not all that marked by their faith, with those who are distinctively not Christian, such as adherents of other religions or those with no religion, the resulting number is astronomical. Casual Christians make up two-thirds of all Americans, and explicitly non-Christians make up a quarter. That's upwards of 90% of Americans who do not live lives marked by the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And the best research shows that it takes 85 Christians, that's 8-5, one whole year to make one new disciple. 
That's utterly ridiculous and completely inefficient and not at all in line with how Jesus demonstrated to make disciples in the Gospels. Not only is the church in North America not growing, but it's being desperately outpaced by the population growth, meaning that with each and every successive generation, we will have a larger and larger percentage of people who live lives not marked by the gospel. And friends, many, many more distressing stats could be added here too. It's simple. The verdict is in. Whatever we're doing, it isn't working as well as it once might have. But what is it that we're doing? By and large, we're doing things today that we've done for decades and in some cases for centuries. Now, don't get it twisted. There's nothing at all wrong with doing stuff that's old as long as it works. But if we keep doing what is old, even though the results are poor, we're verging on the path of insanity. So here are some of the things that we do that don't seem to be working all that well anymore. We make the Sunday morning experience bear the entire weight of our supposed disciple-making efforts. On the face of it, this makes sense. Why would we not want to invest the most time, energy, and money into Sunday morning since all or most of the people are gathered together there at one time? Well, the reason why we shouldn't want to overinvest in the Sunday morning experience is because it appears that it isn't making new disciples or equipping current disciples to make new disciples. Besides, research continually shows that most people learn better in settings other than passive listening in a big group. In fact, there are lots of different ways that adults learn and only a very small percentage learn well by listening to speeches. Here's another thing that we're doing that doesn't seem to be working all that well. In response to this reality about the Sunday morning experience, we have decided that it makes sense to break people into smaller groups so that they can learn better. And this is good. So we came up with Sunday school first, where we split people up by age, relation status, and or life stage into smaller communities so that they can be better discipled. Then, many of us decided to go even further away from the Sunday morning vibe by creating small groups, life groups, co-grow groups, etc., etc., etc. These typically consist of 5 to 12 followers of Jesus who meet regularly in order that they can grow spiritually. Here's the problem though. In these smaller groups, whether Sunday school groups or small groups or whatever, we tend to shrink the Sunday morning experience into that smaller setting. Generally speaking, we pray, we sing, we study the Bible, we spend a few minutes chatting with one another. That sounds a lot like Sunday morning. That's all well and good, but it's simply not making us into disciples who make disciples. And it's not creating new disciples on its own. Sure, there are some exceptions to this rule, but for every exception, there are literally hundreds of non-exceptions. And here's another thing that we do that doesn't seem to be working very well. 
based on our actions and the things that we tell our people, we generally only expect followers of Jesus to have their butts in the seats on Sunday, to open their wallets and give their bucks, and to contribute to building campaigns when they arise. Butts, bucks, and buildings. Those are the things that we implicitly say really matter. Here's the problem. Someone can come to every worship service, give 10% of their income every month, and donate a million dollars to a building campaign, but never grow in their own discipleship and never make a single disciple themselves. In other words, our standards for a disciple don't seem to meet the biblical standard set by Jesus, namely, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. Now, there are more things that we do that don't seem to be working that we could add here, but suffice it to say that by and large, we aren't really trying anything new, despite the fact that our results are not that great at all. In other words, we keep doing the same things and expect different results. It seems, friends, that we've gone totally insane, myself included. So what can we do about this? How can we change? I have two sets of recommendations, one for individuals and one for churches or other sorts of Christian communities. Let's start with individuals. What can we do to ensure that we're not actively participating in a system that doesn't seem to be working all that well anymore? In other words, how can we do a better job of loving God, loving others, and making disciples? Here are a few suggestions. Number one, Take stock. Where are you going in your walk with Jesus? Is it just about you and Jesus? Or are you answering his call to be a participant in God's plan to reconcile all things to himself through Christ? Do you feel equipped to make a new disciple? Better yet, are you in regular contact with people who do not yet follow Jesus? If you can honestly say that your relationship with Jesus is strong and that you feel totally ready and able to begin to point your neighbors to Jesus, then kudos, you're doing great. But if you're like the vast majority of us who have no idea what we're doing, then make a note of that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that we have room to grow. In fact, we all have room to grow. The problem comes that when either we don't know that we need to grow or we know that we do, but we refuse to grow. So the second thing that we can do is we can take action. So after you take stock, you need to find ways to move toward growing as a follower of Jesus who loves God, loves others, and makes disciples. But how? You can't and shouldn't do this alone. Here's my suggestion. Gather five to ten friends and go through the workbook entitled The Tangible Kingdom Primer by Hugh Halter and Matt Smay, printed by Missio Publishing. It's an eight-week study that will give you a fantastic biblical rundown on what's expected of a disciple, all the while challenging you to live out what you are learning where you work, live, and play. I literally can't recommend this highly enough. And even though I said that you can't and shouldn't do this becoming a better disciple thing alone, there is a part of the process that you absolutely should do alone. And that part is studying your Bible and praying. Here's my suggestion. 
Read through the Gospel of Mark during your quiet times, one story at a time. Take note of what Jesus does, who he interacts with, and what it is that he's teaching. Then, pray that God will empower and encourage you to do the same sorts of things in your life. Number three, take it to your leaders. Now, if you take stock and take action, you'll likely begin to see results. Your neighbors will begin to be pointed to Jesus. Some may even become disciples, which would be awesome. But either way, it would be great to loop in some of the leaders of your church. Let them know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Encourage them to come to one of your group meetings or or to read Hugh Halter's book, The Tangible Kingdom, that your workbook that you've been going through is based on. In so doing, you might just help inspire your church's leaders to become more active in equipping people to be disciples who love God, love others, and make disciples. And number four, lastly, if you as an individual or a smaller community would like to work through some things, whatever they might be, I would love to help. You can email me directly at matt at jaymatthewbarnes.com. That's matt, M-A-T-T, at jaymatthewbarnes.com. Let me know what's going on, and I'll see how I can help or if I know someone or a resource that can. Now let's move on to churches and or church leaders and what they can do to begin to change too. Now, if you are not a church leader and don't really have a lot of say in what goes on in your church, that's fine. A lot of what I'm about to say here can be applied to you or your small group as well. But I must admit, this one is going to be a harder sell, I know. But stick with me. It will be worth it. So how can churches or church leaders begin to make these changes to becoming more missional, the kind of people who love God, love others, and make disciples. Number one, evaluate how much of your budget and personnel hours go toward the Sunday morning experience versus the rest of the week. Here is an important rule for this evaluation. If a meeting happens on Tuesday or any other day of the week, but it's focused on the Sunday morning experience, then that meeting counts in the Sunday morning experience column. Be honest when you do this evaluation. Fudging the numbers doesn't do anyone any good. My guess is that you'll be shocked by the percentage of your resources that go towards Sunday morning. If you don't have access to the information for your entire budget and staff, then at least start with your own department or even just your own hours. My guess is that you'll be shocked too. Number two. Take an honest appraisal of your programming. Begin with your new member orientation class and just go down the list of your ministries and programs. What are you teaching? Where is your church's focus? If your church is like most, then you'll find that you have tons of good programming that intends to get people to love God and to love people within the church. However, most churches will have little to nothing that's aimed at loving our neighbors and at making disciples. Number three, think carefully about what you want to communicate in your sermons, in your announcements, and on your church's website. What are you highlighting? 
What stories are you telling? Try to listen and or view your content as an outsider in order to begin to see what you are implicitly communicating to your people. My guess is that your communication is much like that of most churches. It's focused on butts, bucks, and buildings, and loving God and loving other church members. If you have some examples of your public communications that are focused on loving our neighbors and making disciples, then evaluate them. How were they received? Did people respond? Did people read that communication? Did they make changes based on it? Did they attend the programs? Number four, if you're convinced that change is in order, then form a core team of leaders, staff and otherwise, to help. You can't go at this alone. My suggestion is that you gather five to ten people and go through the tangible kingdom primer that I mentioned earlier. In so doing, you'll be learning together, practicing what it looks like and feels like to follow Jesus actively in the real world, and setting the stage for when you can promote these ideas to others. After you make it through the primer together, share your findings from number one, two, and three, and solicit feedback from this leadership core team. Give them a one or two page summary and allow them to have seven to ten days to respond. Come back together and let them talk. Write down their responses to your evaluations. Listen to their ideas. Then, and only then, work together toward taking a few small steps as a congregation. This is still the planning stage, but dream as big as you want. Number five, once you feel ready, start rolling out what you have planned. Friends, here's a solid suggestion. Encourage your existing small groups to do the tangible kingdom primer and encourage unconnected people who are not connected to small groups to form them and go through this workbook with one another just to commit to go through the workbook. Try to have everyone do it within a four-month window. Have the people who formed your, your leadership core team serve as coaches for these small groups. Simply split the groups up amongst them so that they can coach the groups as needed and be sure that you become a coach yourself too. Also, create easy ways for people who are going through the workbook to share their stories with you because they most assuredly will have lots of stories. This can be by texting or emailing you or the other coaches, through a form on your website or through good old pen and paper on Sunday mornings. During the four months your people are going through the workbook, preach the heck out of the same ideas that they're learning and practicing. But don't just drone on and on about the Bible, and whatever. Tell stories too. Stories from when you went through the workbook or their stories as they are going through it. It's important to celebrate what God is doing in this process by telling stories. Number six, maintain this missional vision moving forward. This is the fun part. Think of everything you do as a church through the lens of the mission of Jesus to reconcile all things. In other words, if you have to come up with an elaborate explanation why a particular program or ministry helps people be on mission with Jesus, then it may be time to phase that particular ministry or program out. 
Now there are tons and tons of good resources out there to help churches and or smaller size groups stay on mission. Missio Publishing has a lot. You can find a ton at the Verge Network's website as well as Exponential Sites. And there are tons and tons more. Try stuff. If something bombs, no biggie. Move on to something else. Being missional implicitly has with it this idea of trial and error. And then number seven, lastly, I want to help. I would love to give you some guidance and some help. Email me at matt at jaymatthewbarnes.com. That's matt at jaymatthewbarnes.com. And we can chat. If I can respond to your questions quickly or point you to some resources, I would be happy to. If you feel stuck and need some more detailed and formalized help, we can figure that out together as well too. I'm here to help you and your church. Friends, here's the truth. The way we are doing things in the North American church just isn't working all that well anymore. It's time for a change. Will you have the courage to blaze this trail? I sure hope so. In fact, let's do this thing together. Thank you so much for exploring the topic of change with me. Let's be willing to change. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And also check out my website, jmatthewbarnes.com. That's J-A-Y, matthewbarnes.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the creative process that helps bring this podcast to life, then please check out my Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com slash jmatthewbarnes. That's the letter J, Matthew Barnes. There are some fun rewards there for folks who pledge support, although any level of support will be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for your time. Grace and peace. Peace.